0: Well, good morning. We're going to go to a sermon. We're going to skip over football. (laughs) Um, We've been walking through the, the book of Galatians. And Paul went to these churches with this very specific message. And it seems like they're trying to kind of transform and change Paul's message. Not just that faith in Christ equals this new life in Christ, but... Really, that faith in Christ plus our obedience to the law leads to new life in Christ. And and I think it leaves us here for you and I with this blank. Faith in Christ plus something equals this new life in Christ. Because you got to think, for us, we really struggle with this idea that Just believing and putting our faith in Jesus could actually be something that leads to life. It can't just be that. And that's what Paul is really dealing with in this letter. Because these people are saying, well, no, no, it's the Jewish law that really brings faith in Christ to its fruition. And so what is that blank for you? What belongs there for you? What is it that you feel you have to do to really earn that love that we feel in Christ? And I, I started thinking, why is it that we feel like there is a blank there? Why is it that we feel like there's something else that we need to do to really earn Christ's love for us? God's love for us. And, and I, I thought there's probably two or three different reasons. One, one I think, is just human nature, that that sounds too good to be true, that we just place our faith in Christ and enter into Him and, and be baptized into Him, and that would be enough. Two, I think maybe the human nature side again comes out, and maybe this is kind of an influence of Catholicism in our, our culture. But the idea of repentance, not penance. All right, penance is we have to pay and make things right. Repentance is that we're going the wrong direction and we need to turn and, and go in a different direction. And then three, I think, is maybe misunderstanding the purpose of the law to begin with. And we talked about this quite a bit last week. Really understanding the purpose of the law. So there's a lot of things that maybe didn't have the right purpose when they began, but once they found the right purpose, they started to to make a little more sense. For instance, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola began because it was invented by a pharmacist who was injured in the Battle of Columbia and developed a morphine addiction. And he began by making it with alcohol and cocoa. Coca leaf extract, which is cocaine. If you're ever wondering why Coca Cola is so addictive. um, Now, they've just taken the cocaine out of Coca Cola and replaced it with a ton of sugar. Again, if you're wondering why it's so addictive. Next, Listerine. Anyone use Listerine? Okay, you need to. Uh, No, (laughs) I'm joking. Um, You'll you'll want to change after this, but Listerine began as a floor cleaner, a surgical antiseptic, and a cure for gonorrhea. Just not making that up. That's really what it began as. It was successfully rebranded as a cure for bad breath. You can switch to scope today. The Slinky, okay? It was... Originally intended to stabilize nautical devices on a turbulent sea. And it accidentally got knocked off and walked down to the ground. The inventor Richard James said, strictly speaking, I didn't invent the slinky. He practically walked into my life. <clears throat> Plato. Plato's first purpose was to clean soot off wallpaper and it became obsolete for that purpose when they invented vinyl wallpaper. Thank you, 1980s. Anyone still have wallpaper? No, I won't won't call you out, sorry. And then the last one, Rogaine. Rogaine was created to help lower blood pressure. It was somewhat effective, but they found one side effect was that it affected growth of hair on people's backs and arms. And so they refocused it somehow to make the hair grow on your head. But these began with a purpose, and the purpose wasn't really successful in what they were intended for. And it wasn't until they rediscovered a different purpose that they truly became successful. And you're dealing with, in this culture, as he's addressing these people in Galatia, you're dealing with people who got the law right, right. We're doing everything that we need to do. We're being obedient. But I think where they think they got the law right, they've missed the purpose of the law to begin with. And when you miss the purpose, it creates a problem. When when you miss the purpose, it creates a problem. And so last week we looked at this really awkward transition where he's talking about these foolish people who have traded the gospel for for some other message, basically faith in Christ plus the law equals new life. And he transitions, and we said it's kind of an awkward transition, to the story of Abraham. But it's not so awkward as it is masterful. Because what he says in here is that what God was doing through the story of Abraham was he was announcing the gospel long before the gospel became gospel, long before it became the good news. And so we're going to pick up right there in verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so in, it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Verse 17. What I mean is this. The law... "...introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through the promise." And so he's telling this story of Abraham, and he, he wants you to understand that the law was given, right? The law was given, go to that next slide there. The law was given to Moses, but 430 years before that, God made a promise to Abraham. And God made this promise, and just because the law now comes, doesn't mean you set aside the promise. The promise is still a promise. Because it was a covenant. And so just because the law comes doesn't mean we just set aside the promise and say the promise doesn't matter. right? And this promise, as is, is he sends Abram out, he says, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And you are going to be a blessing in this world. You're going to represent me. We're beginning a new kind of people who are going to be different from all the other people on earth. And their purpose is going to be to represent me in this world, to be my hands and feet, and to bring my blessing into this world. And so he promises him, he's going to make him a great nation, and he's going to give him a large family, and he's going to give him a la- some land, he's going to give him blessing. When he makes this promise to Abram, Abram is 75 years old. He is 75 years old, and God says, I want you to leave everything you know and go Abraham does. He leaves everything he knows because of this promise that God is going to bless him. And so, 10 years, about 10 years go by, and Abram is saying, God, you promised that I was going to have a family, that we were going to be a great nation and I still don't have kids. And you remember last week, God calls him outside of his tent, and he says, I want you to look up at the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then the next verse says that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so belief wasn't just this cognitive exercise. It wasn't just saying, yeah, I know that's going to happen. It was actually living your life as if you believe God is doing it and making it come true. <coughs> Excuse me. Faith is belief expressed in action. And that's what God says, you are righteous. And Abram's question back to God is, how do I know? How do I know that this is going to happen? I love what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says. He says about faith, faith is the ability to live with delay without losing trust in the promise To experience disappointment without losing hope. To know that the road between the real and the ideal is long, and yet be willing to undertake the journey. That's faith. It's this willingness to go when it doesn't make sense. When things don't look the way that you imagined. And so he asked that question of God, how do I know? And God says, you're going to take a heifer, a goat, a ram, all three years old, you're going to get a dove and a pigeon. And it seems like Abram knows exactly what to do with these. So in this culture, this was a part of a covenant ceremony. And In a covenant ceremony, two parties who were entering into a covenant, which was a binding legal agreement, would take these animals... And they would cut them in half and they would place them on the sides of rock so that the blood from the animals would flow down into the center and then both parties entering into the covenant would walk through the blood. And you would literally see their footsteps through the blood. And what they were saying was, if I don't abide by my terms of the agreement, of the covenant, then you can do this to me. Literally, you can cut me in half and walk through my blood. It was a binding promise. Even today, in some Bedouin cultures, you will find these blood paths where people have made this agreement saying that I will follow through. And so God makes a covenant with Abram. And he prepares the pieces and he gets ready. And then it says this, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, no, for certain "...that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." The fourth generation, or in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to you and your descendants, I will give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. What's expected in this covenant is that God would pass through the blood path and that Abram would pass through the blood path. But Abram never walks through. Instead, we see a smoking pot and we see fire, which throughout Scripture are both used to represent God. And what it seems happens in this covenant is that God takes the place of Abraham entering into this covenant basically saying, Abram, if I don't abide by the agreement, you can do this to me. And I think that God would rather die than break the terms of the covenant when in fact, in the end, He will die to keep the terms of the covenant. God does not ask Abram To make the promise. He simply promises him. And he stands there on Abram's behalf. And this, going to the next, this promise was given by God to Abraham. And not just to Abraham but to Abraham's descendants. And what Paul wants you and I to realize is you are descendants of Abraham because you belong to Christ. And even though this law was given, it was given 430 years after the promise. And so you don't just erase the promise because of the law. The promise still stands. God is still going to do His part to keep the promise. And that promise isn't based on you. And it's not based on your ability to keep the law. The promise was a promise. And so here's what he said in verse 18. For if the inheritance, right, that's what resulted from that faith, if it depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. God made a promise, and he died to keep it. And so it's not about you and your ability to be obedient, it's about the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abram through a promise. So, now, here is the question I know everybody is asking. If, if we are free from the law, does that mean we don't have to obey the law anymore? Right? Everyone is asking that question right here. And I know the very first law you're thinking in your mind is from Exodus 30, 23. Um, first, the, just go, the, yeah, first fruits, um of thy land thou shall bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Right, first, first question you're asking, right? Do I have to obey that law? Because that's pretty important to me. Um, Can you boil a kid in its mother's milk? Do I have to keep the law? Do I have to continue to do what it says? It goes back to the purpose. What was the purpose of the law to begin with? What was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? As God takes Moses up on Sinai, that I'm forming a people who is going to be for me a kingdom of priests and is going to represent me in this world. It goes back to the purpose. And so Paul asks a question. Why then the law? It was added because of Transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through the angels, through angels, by an intermediary. And now an intermediary Im- implies more than one, but God is one. And the word for transgressions is parabasis. Excuse me, parabasis. And it means to sidestep. So I think. For me, the word I would expect to see in Greek here is harmatia. And harmatia is sin. It means to miss the mark. But he uses this word parbarasis. Sorry, it's been a while since I've been in Greek. Um, But it means to sidestep. So it doesn't mean like, hey, I'm trying to hit the mark and just missing. It means that I see this law here and I say, I'm just not going to. Do it. Right? I like that word. It's a sidestep. It's not to try and miss. It's just to say, um, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to go a different direction. And it, it's translated transgressions. And so then Paul asks this second question. He says this, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So why why do we have the law? It goes back to the purpose of the law to begin with. See, the promise had a purpose, and the law had a purpose. One, though, only one, was intended to impart life. Only one of them was intended to give life. It was the promise. And so is the law a bad thing? I would say no. It is the principles of a godly kingdom in a godly world and building a godly people. Right? The purpose wasn't for the law to save you because the law cannot save you. Laws only reveal our ability or inability to obey them. There is nothing a law can do to save you. Nothing. All the law can do is reveal your ability or inability to obey it. So when we miss that purpose, we create a problem. So I, I brought a couple of tools with me today a drill. Jay would probably get mad at me for calling it a drill, impact driver. And I brought a nail. And if I were to try to nail this in, Jay would probably get mad at me, with the drill, like eventually it's going to get there, right? But that's not what the purpose of the drill is for. In the same way, if I take a screw and I take a hammer, I might be able to make it work. Maybe. Maybe. But the purpose of this is not to drive a screw into wood. It doesn't do a very, a very good job. And the purpose of this is not to drive a nail into the wood. Right? You, you can have the right tools and not have the right purpose for them, and they're not very effective. They don't serve the purpose they were intended to serve. Both of them are powerful. Both of them are capable of doing something. But if you use a tool for something other than its intended purpose, it will probably not effectively do what you were wanting it to do. What did they want the law to do? They wanted the law to make them look to make them appear righteous. And the law couldn't do that. And it couldn't do that because they continually sidestepped the law. They continually went around it. So to help you out, I've created five new commandments for our Shiloh family. Okay, these are, We're just going to live by these new laws, if you will. Um, from now on, just address Gary as your holiness... Okay. No, this is not funny. Okay. Second, a donut for Gary is required for admission. This is going to really help. Okay, Address the elders as the wise and noble ones. Only wear darker shades of blue. These, these different colors really hurt my eyes when I'm speaking. So just darker shades of blue. And then five, emotions are fleeting, never show them. Never share them. So no smiling, no frowning, no crying. Just, just leave. Those are the now the five commandments at Shiloh. Okay, so um, y'all can start that today. That'll be great. Um, I saw someone taking a picture. You want? You want me to stand with? <laughs> Here's my guess. Here's my assumption. Okay, and hopefully you know. Okay, that's pretty ridiculous. We're not really doing that. Um, if you want to, you can. Okay, donuts especially. Here's my guess. If we started doing this, we would have some (laughs) sidesteppers. We would have some people who saw me coming and be like, "Uh, let's go the different direction. So that we don't have to address, so we don't have to bring you a donut. So we, we would have some transgressors some people who know what it says and just choose not to do it, right? Because laws only reveal our ability or inability to obey them. That's all it does. Put those laws up there. That's all it does. It shows us that you can or you can't obey. And what the people were wanting them to say is look at these laws. They make me look righteous because I do such a great job of keeping them. And so he says this in verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under the law or under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, right? It imprisoned everything under sin. Can the law do that? The law can only reveal something, right? It can't imprison. It can only reveal. But what it does reveal is that as people, we are imprisoned by sin. The law just revealed that. It didn't do it. Sin has done that. The law revealed it. It revealed that we were trapped. But it did it for a reason. So that, by God's grace, those who believe in Jesus the Messiah would be children of Abraham, children of the promise. So I never really answered the question. If we're free from the law, does that mean we don't have to obey the law? But we remember the law was intended to serve a different purpose. It wasn't just obey for obedience' sake. It was forming the people of God. I think Paul would say, well, are you free from using the law to justify your own righteousness? Absolutely. Because it doesn't do that in the first place. Are you free from the godly principles it intended to form? Never. Because it was about forming a people. But I think here's how we like to, I I took some time this week and I came up with my own scoreboard just to show you how good I am, right? I I use the Ten Commandments. No other God, I'm good on all of these. I'm For the the most part, I'm really good. I don't, haven't done any of these. Well, when we talk about idols, I will say there are times that I put other things, I don't have like little statues or figurines, but like at times I do put other things in front of God. I, I, I struggle with that. There are times when I don't really honor and revere the Sabbath because I have a bunch of other stuff going on. And I have work to do i can't say I haven't lied because I don't be lying because I've told you about my lies and sermon illustrations <laughs> and don't covet I, I i'll I'll be honest i I do covet but but besides that like i'm I'm pretty good, right like that's ta da <laughs> look. Look how, how good I am, how righteous. But truth be told, there are times that I allow other things to replace God in my life. And maybe I don't say anything out loud to misuse God's name, but I, I certainly don't always revere it in the way that I should. My mother and father are here. I can't say that I've always, most, 99% of the time, but that I've honored them and respected them. I've never killed anyone, I promise you that. (laughs) This is on, on video. But I will tell you there are times where my anger has gotten the best of me. I sure have thought it was nice if they would be gone. And I've never committed adultery. There have been times in my life I've struggled with lust. And I've never stolen, well, okay, I have. <laughs> and maybe not even something physically, but someone else's ideas. Or misrepresented myself. And it's kind of like, ta da! Isn't it funny, like when we're really serious, how much we fall short of being the people that God has called us to be? And equally, isn't it just kind of as funny that at times we present ourselves to this world like we got it all down? And when we're honest, you and I, we fall at the mercy of Christ. Because not one of us is righteous. Why in the world would we want to make ourselves appear so righteous? rather than glorifying and honoring the one who is. The one who is willing to say, I will stand there in your behalf because I would rather die than break my promise. Will you simply trust in me? Will you put your hope? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, for all the ways that we fall short, all the ways that we try to, to puff ourselves up and allow pride to take over, to make ourselves look righteous. Father, the law just simply shows that we're not. It shows that we're prisoners to sin. But Father, our hope, is in a promise. And it is in a promise that was made thousands of years ago. A promise that You gave Your life to keep. A promise that You will never let go of. Because Father, You want for us to hold on to that promise. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His grace. And Father, we simply fall before You, sinful and broken, needing a Savior. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.